1: This ad-free episode of NordPod has been made possible by the generous support of our many Rare Disease Day funders. Welcome to the club that you didn't want to join.
0: We're the voice of rare disease and this jingle doesn't rhyme. NordPod, NordPod, NordPod.
2: My name is Matthew Zachary. And welcome to NordPod, right here on the Off Script Media Network. Now, I've been advocating on behalf of cancer and rare disease patients for over 20 years. Why? Because I am one. NordPod is the official podcast of the National Organization for Rare Disorders. And a quick reminder before we get started, that if you like the show, please leave us a rating and a review... On Apple Podcasts, because it helps other listeners like you discover the show. Now, let's get started. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to NordPod season four, the voice of rare disease. On today's inaugural episode, I welcome Adam Rose, actor, TikTok star, and patient advocate for Gaucher's disease, which we'll learn about during the episode. Like I said, he's an actor. Google him. He's got a storied IMDb profile. He was part of the Veronica Mars rebirth. And this old Gen Xer just questions him endlessly about what's all this stuff happening on TikTok. Is it for good? Is it for bad? How do you build community? And how can it be used for advocacy? We talk about humor in the face of adversity, peer support, shared experiences, and how gimmicks really work to get your message out there and represent the community you care about most. So, without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, the inaugural episode of season four of NordPod Adam Rose. So anyone that comes on NordPod's kind of been through the, I don't really want to be here, but I'm kind of here store. And like, you know, we didn't ask for this, but we're kind of glad we're here. I want to get to all of that. But I first have a whole bunch of like Gen X, Clint Eastwood, get off my lawn questions about your (laughs) particular wheelhouse, which happens to be TikTok. Yes,
0: that is one of my wheelhouses, for sure.
2: Well, you have many. I mean, we can go down the IMDb list, which I have many, many pop culture questions for. But my first question is, I've only gotten onto TikTok recently because I wanted to do, honestly, research, quote unquote, for this particular show. Why is everyone a ventriloquist?
0: (laughs) Honestly, that just says more about the kind of content that you're interested in. Like, I don't see any... Ventriloquism? Do you mean like the because everybody's lip syncing? Is that why?
2: <laughs> yeah, everyone's lip syncing something else.
0: Yeah, there is a lot of that going on. That is sort of like how TikTok started. It was a lot of dancing and a lot of lip syncing, and 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 I think it's probably because the platform uh, uh, part of the way people create content on there is that these sounds trend, and people use these sound and do their own take on the joke with captions and things like that. But yeah, there's a lot of lip syncing going on.
2: Yeah, that just confounded me. I mean, I'm used to like, you know, when you're talking, here we are on the radio, it's our voices. We're saying our things. And like, does anyone have anything to actually say? Because they're only saying things other people have said.
0: Yeah, I think the the most successful people on TikTok are probably like creating their own sounds, which then get gets used by other people. And then another thing that I see a lot of on TikTok is even though people are lip syncing to a sound that already exists on the app, they are adding their own context that sort of fits within, you know, their niche, if they have one, or a joke, or what have you, and sort of like adding new context to uh, a trending
2: audio. Yeah, I love that everyone becomes like a one man seven second show. Totally. Totally. Again, just with my like, what is all this? Then Gen X, I don't I don't see the immediate value in this because I've been on it for like seven minutes. But I I, want to get to how you can actually use social media for real reasons and not just like pseudo entertainment and cultural nonsense, says the old guy on the mic here.
0: Yeah, I mean, I would argue that entertainment is. Incredibly necessary, especially when we're going through some dark times, which we we've been no stranger to in the past couple of years. But beyond that, beyond just pure entertainment, I think it's really captured people's attention in categories across the board. Like you can find videos, obviously, like lots of cooking videos. You can find people talking about uh, therapy, people and mental health, people talking about DIY stuff, you can find people performing in all different sorts of ways. It really runs the gamut, it's it's becoming, you know, the short form YouTube.
2: Yeah, one of my old friends invented a platform many years ago called 12seconds.tv. It fell by the wayside, it was before Vine, and it was ahead of its time because all you could do was upload 12 seconds of audio or video and that's it. And here we that's, are, like that's 10, 12 spot. years later. We kind of come back to that idea: less is more. Oh yeah, we've definitely um,
0: evolved. I think as a <laughs> as a species, when it comes to the kind of content that we're consuming on a regular basis, things actually started off pretty short. Like I think the first movies were uh, a lot shorter than than what we're used to now: an hour and a half, two hours, two and a half hours. And and then they, it sort of ballooned into that. And then um, now as our attention spans start to wither away slowly, right? Um, you know, the, the platforms that are the most popular have the shortest content.
2: I want to talk about how you are an actor first and foremost. You have a very impressive IMDb listeners. If you don't know Adam Rose, simple Google comes up first. Not the other weird Adam Rose, but this Adam Rose is who comes up first. Not to be confused with the wrestler. No, not the wrestler Adam Rose. <laughs> i i'd love to ask actors the following question how many times have someone come up to you and said what do you do oh i'm an actor have i seen you in anything oh yeah oh we play this game for sure i want to hear it Um, i want to hear it what do you say
0: oh i say probably they say have you seen have i seen you anything i go probably and they go like what i go i don't know something probably (laughs)
2: <laughs> it's like the Mentos commercial. You don't recognize me.
0: I mean, at this point, like I've done well over 30 television shows at this point. So people either immediately know that they've seen me in something and they're not sure what, or they think that they know me. Like, they'll be like, Oh yeah, you, uh, you come into uh, whole foods and buy veggie burgers on Thursday. <laughs> and I'm like, No, no, that's not me. Or, more recently, ever since TikTok, I get that more more than anything. Now is is oh my god, you're you're the cardigan guy, right? Um, like I was in New York recently for work and going down the elevator, and this guy next to me, like as we're walking out, goes, "Are you the man with the cardigan?" <laughs> oh wow, okay. And I'm like, yeah. He goes, "We love you in Spain." <laughs> nice, very yeah. nice. So that. That's become the most common comment that I got.
2: So let's go back to the 90s. I almost went to LaGuardia, by the way. I'm I'm a concert. I was a concert pianist and a film composer. I almost went to LaGuardia. Very good time in my life. Yeah. So um, did they make you watch fame? Because they forced me to watch fame, even to just go for an interview. No,
0: (laughs) that's really funny. I had to watch
2: fame. Like, you must watch fame. That's really
0: funny. No, we weren't forced to watch it, but we definitely did watch it, especially because... One of the drama teachers in the movie uh, eventually became a drama teacher at the school, Mr. Moody. Yep. And so we, we, uh, yeah, so like we kind of wanted to go back and watch it just to see him do his thing, which and he just didn't change at all.
2: (laughs) It's become a movie that's really only aged well with one exception, that being that what would it be like today with cell phones? Totally.
0: <laughs> It'd be a lot, of, a lot of people ignoring their teachers and staring at their phones. <laughs> exactly. Like, I
2: feel like we should have a whole podcast about what if cell phones existed in 80s movies.
0: Although I will say nowadays, especially with like the rise of TikTok, I bet you there are a lot of kids at LaGuardia today, like in the hallways making TikToks. I wouldn't be surprised if that was a to- uh, like a whole, a whole thing going on there.
2: I'm going to wait for that to become like course curriculum in high schools, how to do active, (laughs) professional, theatrical TikToks. That's
0: funny. They should do that. If they were smart, they
2: would do that. I know. Because, again, I could tell from my three hours using the app, like, you can tell where the quality lives and where the quality doesn't live.
0: Yes, there's definitely a divide. But honestly, sometimes the stuff that does the best is sort of... Maybe not low quality, but like low production value. You know, it's like almost like America's Funniest Home Videos. Sometimes those videos go super viral and do a lot better than the videos that creators are spending a lot of time on.
2: One of the first things I remember going viral in the 2010s was this kid named Sanjaya, who was on American Idol, but he was really, really bad. But he became really, really famous. So so shout out to
0: Sanjaya, where that guy is. I hope Sanjaya is doing real well. Yeah, I remember his hair. And uh, I think I did, didn't like Howard Stern. Oh, yeah. Was it Howard Stern who was a judge at the time? Or yeah, maybe yeah, he yeah. just talked about him. Mm-hmm. He was a big fan. He loved Sanjaya.
2: <laughs> so when you decided to go to LaGuardia, what did you want to be when you grew up?
0: You know, when I went to high school, I had already been acting for quite a few years at that point. I started acting when I was eight years old in New York City and started doing film and tv at a pretty young age and so by the time i got to LaGuardia, it wasn't something that they encouraged they didn't want working actors at the school but they also at the same time i think kind of liked the fact that there were professional actors sort of representing
2: them in the industry i was reading somewhere that you wanted to be an opera singer is that true no, <laughs> I'm, I, someone's got to edit before. your wiki, dude. Your wiki's got some updating.
0: Yeah, I've heard that before. What is true is that my mother was an opera singer. There you go. And she was a she was a singer for uh, my entire childhood. And my grandfather on my dad's side
2: was a rabbinical cantor. Really? Yeah, that's amazing. Yeah. I mean that's not to be understated. To be a chazan is a, is an honor. It's a privilege. It's like the, the one of the you know it's it's almost rabbi.
0: <laughs> yeah, music was a big part of my life growing up, and and, and it's still it remains to this day. Like I am playing lots of instruments. I you know, play the ukulele, the guitar, piano, and singing all the time. I I I still keep a very musical household.
2: In the show gypsy which was a way better broadway show than a film even though i mean ethel merman can't lose is this notion that you gotta have a gimmick and there's a great line called first it was a schlepper now a miss Mazeppa i want to know where the cardigan came from
0: yeah so what was it late 2019 early 2020 when i first got on tiktok right before the shutdown happened You know, I was uh, I was already kind of active on social media, on YouTube and on Instagram. And I knew social media was an important part of the entertainment industry. So I was already sort of uh, I was active on on all platforms. And then when TikTok came around, it felt very much like it was for me because I saw dancing. I saw you know, and I, I was a dancer for a long time. Um, I saw people being funny. I saw people, you know, I saw just like performing and being funny and dancing and these things could, you could kind of like mash them all together into something and it would be appreciated on that platform. And so I started scrolling and, and consuming a good amount of TikTok. And then when I would get an idea, I would, you know, just film it real quick. Um, and so I did a lot of that scrolling in the morning while I'm drinking coffee in the morning, it was a little chilly in my house. Cause you know, it was winter time. And so I would, you know, I would just grab whatever was in my closet that was clean and, and throw it on. And one day that happened to be this like hand me down blue cardigan that I got from my brother that I basically never wore, but it was clean and, and right in front of me. And so I threw it on and, and then I was like, Oh, I have an idea for a TikTok, And I made, a video that I dubbed the Alternative Woe Challenge, which uh, was like a parody dance. And it went super viral and gained me, I don't know, a couple hundred thousand followers uh, from the one video and did like 20 million views. And so I really wanted my follow up to that. I wanted people to know that that was me right i wanted them to be like oh that was the guy who made that dance so i was like yeah let me wear the cardigan again so i wore the cardigan again then i wore it again in another video and then again and then one time i didn't wear the cardigan and people got very upset (laughs) (laughs) and so and my comments were just full of like where's the cardigan and so i was like okay okay i know how to give the people what they want it's like your doctor uh, strange cloak yeah. It just sort of stuck and, and, and became, it became a thing. I've also always in the back of my mind, I love Charlie Chaplin. I love Mr. Bean. I love Pee Wee Herman. I love these sort of like live action cartoon characters right? that are always wearing the same thing. And I think in the back of my mind, I thought, well, oh, maybe I, maybe that's sort of what I'm doing. <laughs>
2: It's a very natural pop culture extension. I, I fully concur that you you're yeah. finding a very nice sort of personal brand chic that has a retro flavor to it that can resonate with anyone.
0: i I appreciate that a lot. Yeah, I try I'm trying to I'm doing something that is somewhat you know the platform is modern, but the type of content and video that I'm making, I feel like uh, has a certain throwback
2: feel to it. So before we go to break, I have one more question for you. Of course, everything's pop culture in this part of the show. Could anyone have ever foreseen the Veronica Mars rebirth?
0: Oh, man, I think so. I think that show had such a robust fan base that it was only a matter of time before they tried to milk that cow again.
2: (laughs) You know, they're claiming that the Veronica Mars social push, right? The lobby of this country to get that brought back was what helped pave the way to bring Betty White back.
0: Oh, interesting. What's the connection?
2: Well, Betty White was, you know, she wasn't like today. We know Betty White is like this crazy, ultra famous old lady, but her career kind of dwindled out in the 1990s after golden girls. And then Ah, she got crazy famous. She got on a hot in Cleveland where they kind of wedged her in there. And then she became like Betty white. And she was like the most famous actor in the country, you know, and she, the hundredth birthday was coming up. She regrettably passed away before then, but they're saying like the fact that the Veronica Mars thing showed that the American citizen, can kind of vote with their influence to affect Hollywood studios was a really big uh, deal. So we revived the career of Betty White.
0: Absolutely. I mean, I think we're seeing that happen with TV shows, with actors. The people now have a much larger voice because everybody can, you know, put their two cents on, you know, TikTok or Twitter or Instagram or what have you. And the people in Hollywood and the powers that be are listening, you know, they, they're, they're listening and there's also a certain sense of um, nostalgia that people really value and cling to. And I think part of that, you know, it it kind of contributes to shows that were beloved coming back to actors that, that sort of, you know, had dips in their career to them, you know, being rejuvenated and becoming big stars again. I think we're seeing
2: that a lot. I would argue that when channeled for the good of mankind, that works really, really well. Totally. I
0: think that's that's the thing. I, I don't think anybody can truly denounce social media, even though lots of evil things can come of it. There's so much good happening on social media as well that it just balances out no matter how bad it gets.
2: <laughs> so we're going to pick up right on that after the break back with our guest after the break.
1: The National Organization for Rare Disorders would like to thank our Silver Rare Disease Day sponsors supporting today's episode, which include Alexion, AstraZeneca Rare Disease, Biomarin, Horizon Therapeutics, Sanofi Genzyme, and Takeda. And now, back to the show.
2: All right, we're back with Adam Rose. Adam, we're going to start talking now about the. I didn't expect to be shopping in this rare disease store when, when you were growing <laughs> yeah. up. Um, yeah. I want to point out that you have a, a disease that I consider the Stephen Colbert disease because it looks different than it's pronounced, that is quite French. Gaucher huh. looks like yeah. Goucher. And yes, I mean, it just. That sounds like a really disgusting disease to have. And I'm a big fan of alliteration, but can they could have named it after a nicer, more mellifluous sounding person?
0: If only someone else had discovered it. Right, exactly. Uh, (laughs) um.
2: So talk us through the life turns on a dime. Did you have symptoms? Were you taken seriously? I, I love to just hear like the no one takes me seriously. What's really wrong with me? I'm sure that you might nod your head with me making those words come out of my mouth.
0: Yeah, I think that there's, uh, I, I had probably a, a little bit different of an experience compared to people who might be diagnosed a little bit older. So I was eight years old, seven or eight years old. I don't remember exactly. I was very short for my age. I had bad complexion. My blood did not clot very well. I didn't have a lot of energy. There was clearly something wrong with me, but no one could really figure out what it was. You know, I had a doctor who, a pediatrician who, you know, would just say like, yeah, you know, he's just got bad complexion or he'll have a growth spurt eventually or what, you know, that kind of thing. Then we changed insurances. And so I had to go to a new pediatrician. So I go to this new pediatrician just to meet him and do like a, you know, an annual checkup type thing. And He just like, you know, he's checking me out and then touches my stomach and he's like, oh, there's something in your stomach that is enlarged and you should go get a CAT scan immediately. So we're like, okay. And we go, we get a CAT scan and they find out that my spleen is 16 times its size. It's bigger than a basketball in my stomach. And then starts all of the tests right they're really not sure what it is this disease is super rare there's like i think around 10,000 people in the world with it and not every doctor knows about this disease i've definitely had doctors in my life sort of when i tell them about it sort of go oh yeah sure and then they like leave the room and then they come back and they're like oh okay i got gotcha. you <laughs> you know as they like speedily look it up so We're doing all these tests and eventually we get, and they thought that I might have leukemia and the final test to kind of find out once and for all what it was, was this bone marrow test where they have to put me under and stick a huge needle in my back and extract some of my bone marrow. And when that happened, they were able to diagnose me with Gaucher's disease
2: I think we can agree better than leukemia, but different than leukemia.
0: Yeah. I mean, obviously, there was a certain sense of relief and at the same time, a lot of concern because my parents obviously didn't know anything about this disease. And and a lot of people just were not totally, you know, it wasn't a a well-understood disease. and, And I think we're still finding stuff out about
2: it. What was the internet like back then for you?
0: Oh, man. I don't even remember interacting with the internet at the time i don't think there was anything about this disease that was easily accessible on the internet at that time it it was still you know in the aol days and maybe even a little bit before that
2: aol you say you mean when they gave away all the cd-roms littering your floor everywhere you went
0: and that was basically how you accessed the internet you know what i mean so like i i there wasn't a ton of research that you could do. I mean, maybe a little bit, but the, it wasn't. Um, there wasn't this, you know, wealth of knowledge about every little subject like we we have at our fingertips now.
2: I was diagnosed with brain cancer on an answering machine. Just to put everything in perspective, oh <laughs> in 1996. So wow. I'm I'm right with you there. With like, what is this internet thing that I may or may not care? Because today we rushed to Google, <laughs> but back then there wasn't a Google. No, we
0: just had to take in whatever doctor we had, uh, what information they had. So luckily in New York, there was a, a specialist named Dr. Pastores who specialized in gaucher treatment and gaucher patients. And so we learned everything from him. And I very quickly was not allowed to do anything too physical. Um, no school trips, no sleep away camp, no sports, no wrestling, no nothing like that, because they were afraid that if I got a, a hit in my stomach, then my spleen would pop and I would be in serious trouble. So all, that definitely changed my life a great deal. And then I also started getting the medicine for the disease, which is done intravenously. And for the first couple of years, I was going to the hospital to get my medicine for a couple hours every two weeks. And it wasn't until after that that I eventually had a nurse coming to my house to give me the IV.
2: That sounded like it would be a whole lot more convenient. Why didn't they do that at the start? You know, I think in the beginning, they want
0: you there to monitor you and see how you are affected by the medicine. And I think also it just took some time to get that service set up. The visiting nurse service um, was something that became more common uh, later on, but but at the time was was not something that was just like easily accessible to everybody.
2: So by now, how old were you? Were you in high school yet or middle school? No, not at all. This was eight, nine, ten years old. I'm oh getting wow! The medicine. Okay.
0: Yeah, yeah. And I still, I still to this day get the medicine.
2: Right. It's a chronic condition that thankfully there is medicine for. But what is the medicine doing to you? What is it abating? What is it holding off? How is it keeping your body in just enough stasis? To live the life you need or can
0: yeah so the medicine is a synthetic form of the enzyme that my body does not naturally produce so there is an enzyme that everybody's body except for mine produces that sort of does a number of things one of them being depleting the dead blood cells from your spleen where for me that was not happening so all these dead blood cells were storing in my spleen and never flushing out. And and that's how it was enlarging to the extent that it was. After I started getting the medicine, my spleen started to shrink down to somewhat normal size. That took a few years. I also had quite a few like very painful growth spurts. My complexion came back. My energy came back. My blood was clotting a bit more normally So it had uh, many positive effects once I start getting the medicine.
2: So I often like to go to Wikipedia and intentionally try to figure out how many syllables are attached to a rare disease. I'm going to read this verbatim and I'm going to botch all these syllables, but you know this, the listeners don't, or maybe listeners that have this do. Uh, Gaucher's disease is a genetic disorder in which glucocerebrosides, also known as glucosylamisides accumulate in cells in certain organs. So did you ever think you'd have to know these syllables?
0: Yeah, I've always, I, maybe I have it wrong, but I've always referred to it as glucosarabasinate. That's that's the term I was told, but perhaps it's been, that the suffixes have been uh, changed a little bit. But yeah, no, it's not something that I was, uh, I thought I'd I'd be familiar with at such a young age.
2: (laughs) So this is considered an invisible disease, but you don't look sick and yet you're dealing with managing this your whole life.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's one of the um, sort of odd things about diseases like this is when, you know, you, I think anybody who sees me or sees me on, you know, on the internet or on TV would have no idea that I have a chronic illness because as long as I'm getting medicine, I look normal, I act normally, I, 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 uh, I'm capable of, uh, of doing everything that a, a person without this disease can do. And yet I'm still every month now, I, I get an infusion for a couple hours and every year uh, go to my doctor to get MRIs and CAT scans and bone density scans and all that stuff the disease exists in my blood and my organs you know it's not something that is is visible externally
2: Meltworks has an old expression could be worse could be raining <laughs> exactly exactly whatever that metaphor is how did you stumble upon the rare disease community because this is nordpod the national organization for rare disorders when did you find this community your tribe some version of that for yourself
0: yeah, you know, uh, it was something surprising to me because I definitely have not been in contact with people who are going through the same thing as me for for most of my life. And once I started making videos on the Internet, one of the things that I've touched on is the experience I had when I got diagnosed and and, and how that affected my life. And those videos went viral and, and I got reached out to by so many people people and parents and people who are going through either the same thing or similar to what I've been through. And also my doctor, uh, I happen to share a doctor with another actor who also has the same disease. Um, And so me and him have bonded over it as well. And, and yeah, it's been surprisingly comforting to interact with people who know what you're dealing with and who who get it and who are dealing with the same things themselves or or are parents of, of kids who are dealing with the same thing and i think there's a comfort that i get and a comfort that they get out of it as well knowing that someone else out there with the same condition is thriving and and living life to its fullest
2: i mean no one asks to be an advocate that they- you become an advocate because of their circumstances then we're here today on the show to talk about rare disease day which is February 28th uh, yeah not 2:22 22 or 2:22 22 in the afternoon but 2:20 very close to numerologist dreams February 28th <laughs> National Rare Disease Day have you heard of it before are you involved in it what are you doing for it
0: I had never heard of it before this actually it really wasn't until I made these videos that that got out there that I started. You know, people started reaching out and kind of inviting me into these communities and these uh, awareness campaigns and, and and events that kind of you know put it all on my radar.
2: Well, I can tell you, our community needs big voices like yours because. Most of this stuff just isn't okay. And I'm not a big fan of people saying, oh, this is better off than you did. It could have been worse. It's not a contest because we're all in this to make sure that we live the best lives we can, given the stuff that's thrown at us we didn't ask for. And I'm somehow alive 26 years later with the rarest of brain cancers. And yet I know so many people who've passed away from those types of cancers. But my job is, to your point which you said before, to help be there for the next me, proverbially speaking, to make their life suck a little less. And I'm glad you're taking up the challenge and the reins to represent the rare disease community on Rare Disease Day. Anything specific lined up is like, do you want to do like a cardigan Inception and like buy 10 of them and wear them at the same time like Joey on Friends?
0: You mean uh, to celebrate? Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. Uh, maybe we'll do some sort of stuff like that. Yeah. <laughs> you should do the
2: cardigan drop challenge. So, some kind of cardigan challenge where you just go find the company that makes the ugly Christmas cardigans and partner with them for the holidays. It would be super fun.
0: Well, they can they can hit me up. They know where to find me.
2: <laughs> I'm going to go with the, 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 the great cardigan challenge. <laughs> I like it. I'm sure that like domain's it. available, too. I can't imagine anyone owning <laughs> that domain. Not after this airs. (laughs) For sure. Well, we hope to see you loud and proud on Rare Disease Day. We will be following you. The hashtag for the listeners is hashtag Rare Disease Day, hashtag show your stripes, and hashtag light up for rare. Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show, sharing your story, and teaching this old Gen Xer why no one really should be a ventriloquist on Twitter and that organic content matters more.
0: <laughs> hey man, thank you so much for chatting with me for a bit. It was really nice to be on air.
1: That's all for now. If you like this show, be sure to subscribe, leave a review, follow us on social and tell all your friends to listen. Tell us your rare disease story in your own voice by leaving a message for us at 855-AUDIO-66. And we might just use it in a future show. NordPod is a product of the National Organization for Rare Disorders and Offscript Health. Our executive producers are Matthew Zachary, Leslie Nordstrom, and Andrew McDowell. Our senior producers are Valerie Mocken and Noah Jones. NordPod is recorded by Matthew Zachary and mixed and edited by Kyle Moore. Our theme music is by The Salvatones. Learn more about the music of The Salvatones at salvatones.org. For advertising and media inquiries, email media at offscriptnot.com. That's media at offscript.com. Or visit us on the web at offscript.com. For more information about Nord, visit nordpod.org.